I mean, chariots of fire. <laughs> That's funny. Chariots of fire has, has <laughs> nothing to do with swords and sandals. Nothing. No. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Yo! Yeah. We need some helium. <laughs> uh, we're uh, doing the Sincast today, and I'm sure at some point in the past week, you guys got angry about something, right? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! I'm as mad as hell! You've never seen me very upset. Lord Jesus! Lord Jesus! Oh, man. Really? Oh, man. Oh, man. I can Who's see the angriest? A, I can see a roiling volcano building up somewhere on this Who's screen. Who's the angriest? Who's the angriest? I, I got a happy rant. I got an angry rant. Which one do you want first? a happy and an angry? I want yeah. the happy Let's happy start with rant. a happy rant. All right, um, I am geeked about this Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady golf tournament. Have you heard yeah. anything about this? A little bit. No. All right, so it's like May 20-something, 24th. It's going to be on TNT, TBS. It's going to be Tiger and Peyton against Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady playing for charity, and they're going to do all these side bets, and they're going to have mics on, and it's going to be fucking glorious. Like, <laughs> I haven't been able to see golf for a while. I miss golf. I didn't get my Masters. I didn't get uh, the Players Tournament. I haven't gotten any golf. This is going to be golf. It's also going to be my favorite golfer, my favorite football player, going against a golfer I like, and a football player I used to hate, but generally, you know, think is a decent guy. And Peyton is going to trash them all. Like, not golf-wise. I just mean, like, <laughs> joke-wise. Did you see that interview yeah. they did? Huh. Like, he... Oh, he did. They did a like all four from home Zoom interview on ESPN, and Peyton just spent the whole time razzing uh, Tom Brady the whole time. <laughs> like we have to do this tournament in Florida because of Tom's B and E charge that he got walking into the wrong house, uh, and uh, he's just he's faster witted than any of them. But anyway, I'm going to get to see golf. It should be very fun and hilarious, and I'm looking for more people to be excited about this. Will they be like? Uh, six feet apart and all that shit, or what are they doing? Uh, now that I don't know in terms of like what they're going to do for distancing or if they're going to wear masks. Um, I'm not sure. Um, but I just think it's going to be for golf fans, but also for even football fans. Uh, and they're going to raise money to fight the virus and they're going to make side wagers. It's going to be like the side wager thing. Of the coolest foursome ever. There's two things that make me want to watch the side wagers and the microphone thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if, if TNT is just giving that full on like unedited or anything, but uh, it would be nice if, if we could, because uh, I probably have a dump button for swears. I, <laughs> I fantasize a lot of times about sports that we love being on HBO. So the, that they, we can hear whatever we want to, yeah, uh, on those things, but um, uh, and and you know, announcers can be all like, "Well, fuck this, Jim. This is bullshit." <laughs> I don't know, man. They uh, 
They're pretty loose with that uh, that dump button uh, on NBA in particular and NFL, especially after scoring touchdowns. Like you'll hear just all kinds of "Let's fucking go, motherfucker!" Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. there was there was a time uh, back in Tiger's heyday uh, where uh, he where he couldn't drive. Of course, he could do everything else. Uh, he's never really been able to to control drives, but uh, he hit one shot. Didn't even yell four. It was so snap hooked left. Uh, and he just stared. It was almost like he was staring at the camera and went, fuck, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was the, that was literally the only knock on him for many years was that he, he swore a lot and they, you know, had to tell him repeatedly, Hey, stop doing this. <laughs> well, the funny thing is that he calls himself Eldrick all the time. He's like, fuck, God damn it. Eldrick. <laughs> 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 and you're like, you're like, who's he talking about? <laughs> I mean, if you had a nickname like Tiger, would you call yourself that in your head Fuck monologue? Yeah. Yes. No, I wouldn't. No, I'd be like, I'd be like Bo Cephas or whatever my real name was. <laughs> I would call myself my most embarrassing form of my name. <laughs> no, that does sound good. I've always, I, I actually wondered why they couldn't figure out a way to make golf work. Um, well, it was you know, the crowd. I understand the crowds, but of all of the sports, the one crowd that you're going to miss the least is a golf crowd, right? Well, yes. The dip. The problem is if you if you go crowdless, the the channel like NBC might make money airing a tournament, but the venue won't make any money. In fact, they'll lose money, and oh, so sure. uh, you know the venue can't keep the tournament open. Uh, just so that NBC can keep making money. So they have to find stuff like this uh, where they come up with creative ideas. And then I think people on the course competing can still be televised and fun for everybody. I think you're right, Barrett, as far as for the most part, when you're watching the action on screen, the fact that there's nobody cheering is a common thing, but I would miss the, Oh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, course. all that type of stuff that happens on putts and things like that. So, um, so you would miss it at some, at some point. And, and, you know, the, the lack of crowd makes it seem like what they're doing is not, is not important. Well, of course it's not important, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> it's not important ever, but those um, athletes are heroes, Chris, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it, it makes it seem like, uh, you know, like why are they even doing this? If nobody's watching a lot of, if, if you hear nothing, if so, I were to rank the, the sports in order of crowd necessity, I would say that American sports, I guess football, and hockey would be number one and one A, I think. Basketball would be number two. I think baseball, just because of the nature of the 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 stadiums being empty so much, especially like <laughs> midsummer and stuff like that. I think you that that's probably number three. Now there is a, a, a big gasp whenever everybody when somebody hits a a long ball or it's caught at the warning track or out or something like that. Yeah, but you don't watch enough it, baseball though. I mean, like yeah. there are some there are some uh, uh, stadiums that have nobody in them, sure, but there's pl- plenty more have more than that. Uh, I mean, most of the league is going to be uh, a decent sized crowd, but yes, baseball really only needs baseball crowds are the best when it's the postseason. And oh yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, <clears throat> 
given the current company, I apologize ahead of time, but I wouldn't mind watching a Braves or a Chiefs game where I didn't have to listen to that tomahawk chop. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a Braves fan, and I would rather I not hear it too. Um, <laughs> or or watch a Ravens game and not hear that white stripes. Oh, 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 oh. Well, the Orioles do that shit too, and I'm an Orioles fan, so, and I hate that. So yeah, any anything like that in sports is terrible. Vuvuzelas, remember those? <laughs> I do. Vuvuzelas. <laughs> I kind of like those. <laughs> oh, man. Those things were awful. They were so awful. <laughs> All right. So that's my happy rant. Move on somebody else and come back to me for my angry rant. Right. Okay. I may have ranted about this before. Not sure. We've done 200 and something fucking episodes. I have no idea if I've ranted about <laughs> yeah, this. Deal before. with it. Uh, but uh, because, because I am home a lot now, even more than I was before, uh, I, I, I tend to have it on music stuff so that I can do other things, uh, like, you know, uh, masturbate. No, uh, like where, um, <laughs> I, uh, I just have music on in the background while I'm doing a lot of other stuff. And so I have the MTV live on and it plays a bunch of videos in the morning and everything. And then it goes on to, uh, concerts and stuff a lot of times in the afternoon. And, um, and a lot of these concerts, like the Isle of Wight, and uh, what are there's a couple others that they play on there, uh, and uh, you know they'll they'll have some band on there. And you're like, oh yeah, they're playing that song. That's awesome. You know, blah blah blah. And you're just like, yeah. And like every single band decides to let the fucking crowd sing the chorus of some of the most popular songs there are. And mm-hmm. I do not agree with this at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. You sing. Go, go fuck yourself with the crowd singing the chorus. <laughs> Just like Steve Harvey was talking about in the uh, original Kings of Comedy, where he's like, now everybody scream. He's like, it's like, motherfucker, I paid $35. You scream. <laughs> um, um, I hate so that like, too, man. I hate it so much. And, and, and it, it's inevitably the best song that happens. And like, I yep. understand, I understand you're, you're making the crowd feel like they're part of it, that they're part of your band and all that. Fuck you. I didn't go to the concert, by the way. I've gone to a lot of concerts, and that happens a lot. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I didn't go to this concert <laughs> to hear a million assholes sing the song that I wanted you to sing. I didn't hear. I didn't come here for that. And it's always bad. It's just bad. It's you know this. They all sing in this horrible key and tone and everything, and it's all together. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, what, you know, I'm sure I'll be happy when concerts actually get back and we can actually, I can feel safe going to a concert. Uh, but, uh, just watching this on TV, I'm like, God, man, it's, it's insufferable how many times it happens. You know, the only thing I can think, and this is not a defense, I agree, because the concert is for you, the audience member, not for the band, Mm -hmm. but I have to imagine if you're in a band and you get popular enough to where you can turn the mic out to the audience and they know all the fucking words, that's got to be a really cool fucking feeling to stand up there and be like, I'm a goddamn rock star. They're singing my song, but they do it all the time. They'll do it in Detroit next week and then they'll do it in Cleveland the week after that. And it sucks. I just wish there was a way of 
that there would be a compromise there where we can hear the hear the crowd maybe, but hear the singer at the same time and and maybe louder than the crowd is. Um because I don't I don't know how I don't know if that's even possible because you'd have to find a I don't know. You'd have to find a, a good sound technician to be able to get that going. But it's the the point you know, I understand like when you're at the show and you're singing along with the song and every you're singing along and everything and they point to you and you guys are singing it that's sort of a you know it's a it's a it's a moment for you but like for people who like me who just want to go to a concert and hear the band that I've actually bought the CD of and everything I want to hear them sing it that's the reason why I came I didn't <laughs> you know I didn't I didn't come here to be in a bar atmosphere where people are singing karaoke and shit so <laughs> <laughs> and it's a marked difference from somebody like uh we've seen Benny Folds uh do his uh you were not the same bit whether it was uh solo or whether it was with the band or everything and there's a part in there where he actually splits the the uh the audience into three part harmony and he's saying, you're going to take the first, you're going to take the third, you're going to take the fifth. It's like, ah, you were not the same after that. And he does this, he, can, he stands on the piano and he conducts the whole thing. And it's beautiful. It's it's mm-hmm. like you're being a part of something and it's complete different from what you're talking about, Chris. Yeah. He's not outsourcing all that stuff. He's integrating all that stuff. It's the same thing. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you've seen The Killers at uh, Wembley. That's a great show that they play on uh, MTV live every once in a while play all the hits and everything but they do one of my favorite songs it's such a silly song but it's called spaceman uh it's spaceman says everybody look down it's all yeah. in your mind and there's a part where it's like oh 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 <laughs> and he and so he does the first part and then he outsources the oh 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 and that and yes, is integrative. It's not outsourcing. Perfect. It's not Bon Jovi not being able to hit living on a prayer anymore. So he's going to stick that fucking microphone out to where those people are going to scream and blow out their vocal well, and cords. Jesus. And, 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 <laughs> and I would rather hear Bon Jovi not be able to hit that note than a bunch of like, like 500 assholes who can't hit that note. <laughs> <laughs> oh man there's also <laughs> there's also a great video of bobby mcferrin at some kind of ted talk or festival or something where he like does what you're talking about with ben folds but he does way more than like three sections and he doles out like you know different sounds and tones for the audience to make and he's funny while going about it. And then in the end, he brings it all together and creates a song out of it where the audience is sort of like his instruments and he's pointing to them at the right time um, and directing. I'll send you the link to this video. It's really freaking cool. But again, that's completely different. That's uh, creating something new with the audience, just taking the mic and bending it down. God, it's almost just like, lazy. you know what? It makes me think you're lazy. It makes me yeah. think you're hoarse and you're tired from doing mm-hmm. too many concerts to get yourself rich. Yeah. Well, it's the same. Kiss does that all the time. Rock and roll all night. I don't think they've sung that chorus in like twenty years. He's like, he's like, ah, you sing. Yeah, they see the set list and they're like, ah, here's what I can take off. Uh, good rant, man. I've got uh, like a happy rant that turned into a sad rant. Oh no, uh, or an angry uh, rant. 
So one thing, you know how everybody who gets depressed or anxious or like in their own bullshit uh, for a long time, and I don't mean that pejoratively mental health wise, has one thing that makes them happy. I don't know if it's, I've heard people say that Seinfeld kind of makes them happy for a while. You saw on Euphoria, uh, uh, Zendaya's character, what was she watching? Love Island, like a whole marathon of, (laughs) and that was the only thing that could really keep her going. Uh, When I was really having a rough time recently, one thing that always made me happy and always made me laugh was blooper reels. For whatever reason, Uh, I got really into blooper reels. Uh, You know, Anchorman 2 has a great blooper reel. Uh, all the really kind of shitty comedies has good, really good blooper reels. Wanderlust has a really good blooper reel. Uh, the, the other guys is a great, uh, movie that has a great blooper reel. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, there's a, there's a lot of really good stuff out there, but then like, and, and of course Seinfeld, in fact, uh, uh, Jeremy posted this the other day, yesterday when Jerry Stiller died, that, uh, outtake package of, uh, Jerry Stiller cracking, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus up which is hilarious, never fails to kill me uh, because she just immediately loses it. It's not like she's trying to hold it in and like all of a sudden she just like halfway through his line, she'll break up. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've been watching a lot of SNL where Bill Hader will like the Californians where he'll lose it, that kind of thing. And it just always never fails to, uh, to make me laugh. But then there's some absolutely classic videos, classic shows, classic movies that have none of this stuff that I want to see. And I'm angry that they don't have it. Scrubs, one of my all-time favorite shows that is classic for its improvisation, has the shittiest blooper reel I think I've ever seen for every season. It's like 30 seconds long, and it's mostly Zach Braff like running into things. And it's you got Neil Flynn, you got John McGinley, you got uh, Turk, you got you got all these wonderful comedians. Uh, and Donald it's just Faison. like Donald Faison, <laughs> uh, you've got, uh, but you've got all these wonderful comedians and like, it, it just lasts for 30 seconds and then it's, it's done. It, it's something like walk hard, which is one of the funniest movies of all time and has to have a ton of, uh, improvisation. And, uh, uh, Talladega nights has a very kind of half-assed thing. It's one of those things where, you know, par- in parks and recreation, where in the show, They'll show like four or five different takes of a line. They'll be like like Tom Haverford, Aziz Ansari's character, will name off like four different ideas that he's having for new businesses and stuff like that. And it's hilarious. Um, that's what they do in stuff like uh, the Talladega Nights thing. It's not they're not breaking up. They're not funny. It's just like a different take of of whatever. Um, so I think every, especially these comedies, you know, they've got gold. You know they've got gold. Anything involving Paul Rudd, Will Ferrell, like Jason Siegel, like anybody like that will it has gold in there. And they need to release it, and I want to watch it, and mm-hmm. and and there you go. Yeah. Is the Talladega Nights uh isn't one of the bloopers when they're talking about baby Jesus and John C. Riley says, well, I like to think of Jesus as an angry beaver. <laughs> Or is that yes. for the movie Angry Badger. That, Angry Badger, Badger, yes. Is that is that is that in the actual movie or is it the thing at the remember. end? No, I think that's that's at the thing at the end, but nobody breaks up about it. Um it's <laughs> it's it's funny. At that same scene, there is a couple of those those scenes where uh uh the kids like uh he's talking to the grandfather, he's like, Don't sass me, I'll come over there and <laughs> rip your throat out. And Will Ferrell's like, That's right, Chip. Chip. <laughs> 
he starts cracking up. <laughs> and the old man's just like blank faced. He's like, I mean, when I saw Pixar adding, creating outtakes for stuff like Bugs Life, where the microphone comes into the view or what have you, that's when I started saying all movies should have outtakes. All movies should have bloopers. I know you fucked up. Maybe not as much as other people. Maybe it's it's not a long blooper reel, but every single movie should have bloopers running over the end credits. And uh, I think it would add to the enjoyment of all, everything except, you know, really serious shit like Schindler's List, where nobody really <laughs> wants to see bloopers from that. But every other movie, we were watching something from, was it The Master with the walking yeah. Phoenix? And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a really dramatic film, but that was really, really fun to watch, to see them both crack each other up. I, it's so great, I, man. Like, you watch the end, of, like the blooper reel for I Love You, Man, which is a good, it's a funny movie. But the the bloopers are hilarious. Uh, yeah, like I said, Wanderlust, you've got uh, Justin Thoreau, uh, like, philosophizing. He's like, I got this in the forests of Nicaragua. And he, <laughs> and he just loses it. <laughs> and there's when he's describing Jennifer Aniston's vagina, he's like, her vagina smelled of fresh Limburger cheese. <laughs> 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 you see why i like these things so much they were they were the only thing that really gave me pure joy and i just i want more of them and i am I, this is a very first world problem thing but uh i want all my favorite shows and movies to have an extensive blooper reel because i know you got that shit well um i don't know if a lot of film sets are like the one the only one that i've ever been on the last castle but um, I was, there was one scene where I got to see up close, a bunch of actors just basically goofing off on every take. Um, and that it was just, it was just some scene where I guess Rod Lurie or, you know, somebody just said, Hey, just go out there and just wing it, whatever. This is the basic information. And like every take, <laughs> some actor would do something fucked up, you know, like just, you know, weird in the scene. And you just kept just doing scene after scene of like people like, you know, flipping each other off. And, and this is when that's of- the last castle. If the last castle has that, you know, all these, play- <laughs> these fucking movies what I'm saying, <laughs> a movie like that is, has got stuff like that. You know, some of the most legendary movies have great stuff in it. Yeah, I mean, man. think about Marvel putting together a master blooper reel from the MCU on Disney plus. You don't think you that do would just like two break hours. records? Yeah, absolutely, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I I'd agree. Watch it all. All right, real quickly, I want to get my very weird rant out of the way, my, my angry rant that's not very angry. Right. And as I step up to the plate to defend celebrities and rich people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, You're so I brave. Think we have a very, I think we have a very complicated relationship with our celebrities, and I feel like uh, it's been a current popular thing during this um, during this pandemic to shame celebrities for being tone deaf like when gal gadot and some other famous well-meaning people got together and sang john lennon's imagine and after a few hours of that getting attention and love it became how tone deaf are these celebrities to be singing about imagine having no possessions from the comfort of their million dollar mansions and i was like Uh, man they're just trying to make you feel better jesus like yeah uh I didn't really understand that. I've seen a few variations of that kind of thing. This is different, by the way, from when David Geffen tweets out on his $300 million yacht, 
I'm just uh, self-quarantining, ha, ha, ha. He later, like, deleted his social media. Um, <clears throat> but another thing that, that I saw that was, like, a lot of celebrities are donating for causes, right? And I see a lot of donation shaming. Like, specifically, I'll pick on the devil, Mark Zuckerberg. He and his wife donated almost $14 million to a COVID charity. And that's, I saw nothing but shame. Yeah, nothing. It was like Everybody that's was only like point zero one of his total. Income. Exactly, exactly. Like, this is the same as me donating a dollar. No, it's fucking not. Unless <laughs> yeah. you donate fourteen million dollars, you can't yeah. just discount fourteen million dollars. And, and oh, by the way, did you donate a dollar? Have you donated exactly. a dollar? Yeah, that's the other thing I want to come back to is that all these people who shame this—they're not donating. At least I doubt they are. Um, and so, you know, is Zuckerberg a good person? Probably not. Do I want to defend him? Not so much. But there are plenty of other examples of, of wealthy people or celebrities making donations, doing, trying to do things. Bill Gates was another one I saw made a donation that people were saying, well, that's only a part of whatever, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, still, it's, you know, $20 million is $20 million more than they had to fight this thing yesterday. And mm-hmm. uh, celebrities online who are trying to make you feel like, do we not all want to be celebrities because they're rich and they have really fancy million-dollar houses? And, and so when they try and make us feel better by singing a song during a quarantine. Why are we shaming them for being what we want to be, what we all fantasize about? What the hell? Yeah, and in that case of the the imagine thing, I mean that you you can find other targets. That's the problem yeah. uh, with with uh, cancel culture and all these different things that keep happening. Is that is that there are better targets than that to worry? Don't worry about. If someone is being tone deaf, I don't think they are. I think they just wanted, like you said, wanted to do something fun. Uh, you know, if they sang a song that had, I'm going to try to think of an example. I can't think of an example right off the top of my head. But um, if you're, you know, something like that is not a big deal to me. I don't understand it either. Um, yeah, the song choice had been fuck the poor. Uh, right. Yeah. Then, you know, you've got a scandal on your hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You don't know that song, Barrett? I yeah. love Fuck I the be- Poor, man. I believe it was uh, Fats Domino that came up with it originally. <laughs> and, and then the Sex Pistols Jeff- covered it. Yeah, well, and then Jeff Buckley covered that. Right. And then Cohen came along and yeah. covered it. And then mm-hmm. Coldplay did a version just a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fuck the Poor. Yeah, Fuck the Poor, you know. But Chris that was Martin more style. of an ironic version Coldplay did. <laughs> oh man uh so that's my rant people who are trying to help people who are actually helping just let them help why are we tearing those people down like chris said there's better targets let's go after the bad people like the people who shoot down um unarmed people of color who are just jogging mm-hmm. yeah let's go after those exactly. people those are right. bad people um okay so we have done some recastings in the past and yeah we, we have the uh 20 year anniversary of gladdy fucking Ader. 20 yeah. years 20 mm-hmm. years, 20 years. <laughs> um, 20. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy and I were working at Hollywood 27 when Gladiator came out in May oh, of yeah. 2000. Yeah. Yes. Jewel uh, came to see that movie with her bull rider boyfriend. I remember I, that. I came to see that movie at the Hollywood 27 in 2002. So you might've sat in the same chair as Jewel. It yeah, was, so. uh, yeah, may have. Uh, that was, I think that I'm trying to remember, if that was one of the first times I ever saw, 
we well, had star Wars. I know had like five or six prints or whatever, which was, you know, that was a lot back in the day, but then it started to get to the craziness of where you get seven or eight prints or something. I remember gladiator had a few, quite a few, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm surprised actually that that movie is held in such high regard. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yep. I, yeah. I, I'm, I don't quite get that one. I, I remember, I remember like people going around quoting this movie and, mm-hmm. and everything. And I understand some of the action's pretty cool in it and everything, but man, gladiators never been the type of movie that I was like, I've got to see that again. I've got to put that in right now because gladiators calling to me. It's got an 8.5 on the IMDb. Yeah, man, that's uh. You think it's it won best picture? You think it's good, yeah. right? You just don't think it's like. Yeah, I think it's up good. there with the 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 greatest of all time or anything like that. Right, I think it's good. An eight point five on the IMDb makes it like it's Shawshank Redemption, and that's that just doesn't make sense to me. Now, um, I did. We had this PlayStation game that came out after this movie was super popular. Mm-hmm. Called Gladius, and my roommates and I played it like crazy because <laughs> yeah. you picked it. You picked your own gladiator, and you know you would fight in gladiator rings, and you'd build up, and you'd win points, and then you could increase your strength or increase your defense. I was a bear. My character was a goddamn bear, and I grew him up to be like the strongest <laughs> bear in the whole do- damn game. That game was fun, man, and I would never <laughs> have played that game if not for the, uh, the movie Gladiator. But I think Gladiator's good to great. It just doesn't. It's not holding up to its reputation for you me. know you know what it is it's Hollywood falls in love with that Spartacus sword and sandals uh Ten Commandments ben type Hur. of thing Ben Hur and there hadn't been I mean Chariots of Fire <laughs> that's funny Chariots of Fire has, has <laughs> nothing to do with swords and sandals nothing no <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of running that in begins. It <laughs> anyway yeah. there hasn't been a movie like this especially a gladiator movie in the popular consciousness in forever before 2000 I don't think and especially not to the level of a director like Ridley Scott so I think that had something to do with it. The performances were excellent. Uh, Russell Crowe, I'll get into if he was miscast or not, but, you know, Joaquin Phoenix and Connie Nielsen and, and everybody else, uh, Oliver Reed and, and uh, Richard Harris, were all perfect for that sort of genre. And I think it just came at the right time. Yeah. Uh, it, well, I mean, if you think about it, uh, even though there weren't gladiator movies, there were a lot of these uh, historical epics uh, Braveheart won Best Picture in 95, and then you had Rob Roy, same year. Um, you had a lot of these type of movies that were inspired by Braveheart to start doing historical epics again. And Gladiator, only it was only five years after that. It, 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 if, I, if you think about, if I think about that time, Gladiator feels like it's like 20 years ahead of Braveheart. For yeah. some reason, I yeah. don't know what it is. Uh, if it's because effects are better, or if it's cinematography is better, or what, I don't know. But I would like just first blush, I'd be like, Gladiator's probably twenty years older than that movie. It's only five years older than Braveheart. That's crazy. Uh, um, but um, yeah, I, I I'm assuming that's that's sort of the reason um that this movie was able to get made was because it was in that environment. 
so, all right. Well, let's uh, go ahead and get into our recasting of it. No stars. No stars. I want Bruce Willis. Not Bruce Willis. No Schwarzenegger. Junior Robbins. This is bad. Bad for movie stars everywhere. Uh, because mm. it's... Uh, because well, you know, I think we got some good ones here. I, got, yeah. I think we, we do. Some, yeah. Although Barrett, man, he went he went down to the nub. Like Barrett is recasting the donkeys on this uh, thing. Like yeah, to, even the donkeys, the, the, is, the donkeys, is the extras. I'm saying, like, you cast characters I don't even remember existing. Uh, so I stopped after after the little boy because I didn't remember any other other characters. Same, same uh, here. You, I, I followed Jeremy's pattern there. I didn't go anywhere farther than he did. So, well, you want to start with me since I went uh, kind of like full. I think we really should. Full yeah. Monty on this. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> My biggest problem with this entire movie, I actually like Russell Crowe's performance. It's probably one of his better ones. Um, He's he's very tough. He's very good. He's very animated. The thing that drove me crazy about this is that he's supposed to be Hispano-Roman, meaning that he's called Spaniard uh, throughout most of the movie after he goes into captivity. Ain't nothing about Russell Crowe that seems Spanish at fucking all. And I understand that we're playing a part and everything, and we're all speaking in British accents despite being in ancient Rome and whatever, but that always drove me crazy. Um, you could get somebody like Javier Bardem, who is uh, Spanish himself, a little bit on the old side. Uh, so I chose Pedro Pascal. Now, I'm well well aware that Pedro Pascal is Chilean. He is not uh, Spanish at all or anything, but I think he could pull off Roman slash Spanish a lot better than Russell Crowe. He's got the the heft uh, that you saw on Triple Frontier and in Game of Thrones and in The Mandalorian. Uh, he's got uh, certainly the charisma, um, and I think he could win over a crowd. Uh, I think he would be a great choice to play Maximus. Uh, I think he could really get behind that dude, uh, I, even more so than Russell Crowe, which, you know, knowing what you know about Russell Crowe, <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't really want to root for the guy, even though his character is great. Anyway, so Pedro well, that- Pascal. To be fair about Gladiator back in the day, he I don't think he had yet thrown a phone at somebody, or at least, <laughs> you know, at least it wasn't known that he had thrown a phone at somebody at the time of Gladiator. Um, <laughs> so, it's funny. Uh, the, uh, the, so they filmed The Insider in Louisville, uh, where I was living mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And I heard some some things. So yeah, I was not. I was not. Well, even guy. on even his most recent thing, that Roger Ailes thing that he was making, like there's there were stories about him like being screamy and hard to work with. Yeah, and some people are just screamy and hard to work with. <laughs> He's just one of those. And uh, was yeah. there was a story that came out of uh, actually I think that he was directly quoted uh, when uh, after the movie Proof of Life. Uh, where he said, uh, I think director Taylor Hackford is uh, fundamentally weak as a man. And uh, probably <laughs> <laughs> shit like that. <coughs> wow. All right. So here's my Commodus. Uh, I think this is inspired. I went through a lot of people for this, uh, but, I, but I settled on. So this is Joaquin Phoenix's uh, emperor character uh, that succeeds Marcus Aurelius after he dies. And I went with Shia LaBeouf. Oh, shit. And I love this because, you know, Joaquin uh, Phoenix wasn't a huge star. He wasn't known for his superb acting like he is now. 
um, at that time. Uh, he had been in Signs. He had been in uh, several other things. Well, he hadn't uh, been in Signs yet at the time of Gladiator. When was Signs out? 2002. 2002. Okay. So so he had been in, in a lot of movies, but he had been Joaquin Phoenix. Um, right. But he was terrific in this. But he had this kind of just ugliness to him, like just kind of you know, smarminess and stuff like that. And I think Shia LaBeouf could be perfect in this. Now, Joaquin Phoenix got nominated for an Oscar, did not win. I think this could get Shia back in the game, by the way, if he were recast into uh, Gladiator, uh, mm. into the Oscar game. Mm, you know, now, I will say that your your gladiator is box office poison already. Because <laughs> very few people know Pedro Pascal and and Shia His LaBeouf. His most famous role, he's wearing a mask for all the episodes. Yes. Mm, and and Shia mm. LaBeouf is polarizing. I'm not there saying you you're, I'm not saying your fantasy casting is wrong. I'm just <laughs> saying that it's box office poison. Interesting. Okay, so let's go on to Lucila, who is Connie Nielsen's character. Connie Nielsen is so good in this movie. Yes, she is. Uh, she's good in everything. Uh, she was 35 at the time, so I picked a 35-year-old actress, Kira Knightley, uh, yeah. who is a terrific actress, just as beautiful as Connie Nielsen, uh, has a range of emotions, very good actress. I love her. I think she should be in everything. Well, Yeah, I love Kira Knightley a lot. I think she has got – that may be the best pick yet that you've made um she's perfect for that role she she could do all the different like facets and layers that role requires and there's a lot man she's got she's recently widowed she's got a kid that she's got to keep up with she's in love with maximus she's got to fend off her incestuous brother she's Mm -hmm. got to overthrow her incestuous brother there's a lot of shit going on in their character you know what i mean yeah yep yeah uh so for proximo the oliver reed uh character who is the trainer uh, who turns out to be a decent guy. He is a former gladiator that won his freedom. Oliver Reed died during filming during this, right? Yes, right after. where it, it has one of the weirdest uh, like inserts ever because he died during filming because there's that, uh, what's that line where he, where he dies at the end of the movie or towards the end of the movie? Uh, something in dust. That's uh, it's something. It's something in dust. Anyway, he um, he says that line earlier in the uh, in a, a scene with Russell Crowe, and when it comes to his death scene, it's like I think they've reversed the footage in some way, and 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 they insert him saying that it's another take, maybe I don't know, but it's very obvious. Because he wasn't there, he was not there for his own death scene. So, oh, like, it, it's it's such a weird insert. It's like back in that day in two thousand in the two thousands. Like, you know, we bring this up a lot. The the mom and the Sopranos. Or Nancy Marchand died uh, during during the uh, shooting of the her uh, of that scene where she's in the bed and Tony comes in to visit her and everything. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of like weird, like just off kilter uh reactions because they couldn't really put they had to like use footage uh yeah. from other stuff anyway or all of leia's stuff in uh the return of uh, yeah the Jet, like, uh, now that shit's digital so skywalker yeah. or the whatever it is uh okay so for proximo the trainer 
Uh, I'm going to go with Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> that's a good one. I can see him with a big ass scraggly gray beard, <laughs> but still having the gravitas. I was actually mad when I saw this in your picks because I was like, oh, I wish I'd have thought of that. Not that it would have it would have been too late, regardless. But you mm-hmm. can see him being the type of guy that would win his freedom and and have yeah have that sort of authority to to uh, train the other guys. Senator Gracchus who was friend of the show, Derek Jacoby. Yes. <laughs> uh, he is the guy that's ter- uh, trying to undermine Commodus. There's a, uh, a few senators that are trying to overthrow Commodus with kind of some sort of back alley help from uh, Maximus and from Proximo and from all these different things uh, happening. And so for Gracchus, who was played by Derek Jacoby in the original, I went with Brian Cranston. I think mm-hmm. he can pull that off. I think that's mm-hmm. a good one. Uh, Juba, uh, which was the Jaiman Hansu character. Now, Jaiman Hansu hasn't aged in 25 years. So yeah. I kind of want him to play this character again. You could easily put him back in. Because <laughs> he's easily. still awesome. He's still carved out of wood. Uh, but and, and he could totally play it. But instead, I went with Winston Duke, who I think has... There, there's a tiny bit of humor in this character. And I mm-hmm. think Winston Duke uh, certainly can pull that off. He's certainly big and intimidating. Uh, I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, Marcus Aurelius, uh, the Richard Harris character, the OG emperor who is kind and wonderful to, to Maximus. Going with Ian McKellen, man. Yeah. Nobody screams Roman emperor like Ian McKellen. You know, he'd, mm-hmm. bring, he'd bring the funk to that character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he would. <laughs> Hey, do you remember this? Uh, it's Hagen or Hagen. I forget. It's been a while since I've seen this. It's the German gladiator or Germanic uh, gladiator that like starts off being all like hot and bothered with Maximus. And he's like, ah, I'm going to kick your ass and all that stuff. And then he becomes friendly. It's like uh, George Kennedy and Cool Hand Luke or like any other movie that's ever been made uh, where, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a guy named... Uh, I don't even know who played the original one. I didn't even write that down. But it's gonna be it's gonna be in this one, Logan Marshall Green, who I I know is a discount Tom Hardy, but I think uh after upgrade I can see him doing his own thing. Uh and I love that. Uh, I'll it's go at quick this on. point in your recasting that I'm just like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know right. who these people are. I'll run through the rest of these here. Cicero, who is the servant that we all know. Tommy Flanagan is the guy from Sons of Anarchy that has the, the scar on his face and stuff like that. Uh, he was in Braveheart, too. Um, he's the one. They made a sequel to Braveheart? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to make him Timothy uh, Chalamet. Uh, so he's going to be the guy that helps get uh, Maximus out. Uh, Falco is a is a uh, another senator the bad senator that allies allies with Commodus Timothy Dalton another bond that's right yeah, uh, yeah. just a couple more here Gaius who is another good senator Frank Langella he looks exactly like John Shrapnel who played him in the original one and even though Frank Langella is eighty two I think he's got a couple more movies in him Quintus two more left Quintus is the guy that betrays Maximus then redeems himself at the end basically the Robert the Bruce. Josh Brolin. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last one. Lucius versus Virus, uh, who was Spencer Treat Clark. You know the boy. The the boy that was in Unbreakable and Glass and all that stuff. And he was the, the he was the Connie Nielsen boy in this. All right. Mm-hmm. He's he was supposed to be 13. In this one, it's gonna be Jaden Martell from It Chapter One and from Knives Out. 
And even though he's 17, I think he could still play a kid character. And I think, I think so too. Who sure. did you, who, who are you casting as the tiger? The tiger mm. is going <laughs> to be, is going to mm. be Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, you're going to get so much trouble for whitewashing. <laughs> is, uh, who was the tiger in Kung Fu Panda? Was it Angelina Jolie? I think so. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's Angelina Jolie. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like a Charlie's Angels type of thing. It'll be Scarlett Johansson, Angelina Jolie, and yeah. I don't know, Cameron Diaz. What's yeah, the name Cameron of the Diaz. What's the name of the tiger in Life of Pi? Richard Parker. Richard Parker. Richard Parker. <laughs> Richard Parker. <laughs> All right, so I can recast like the entire cast. Sorry about that. Yeah, you did. You or me, Chris? You go ahead. All right, so my Maximus, my Russell Crowe, uh, I, I am also not going to care about uh, uh, ethnicity here, as the original movie did not. So I'm casting purely on physicality. Tom Hardy is my Maximus. Mm-hmm. He's uh, a big, be great. And, you know, he's a good actor. You know, he's got the physical stuff. He can pull off the fighting. Um, you know, he can say lines without wearing a mask for once. Um, for- <laughs> he would find a way. He would. Yeah, he would find a way. Um, so for my uh, Commodus, my Joaquin Phoenix, uh, I'm going with Luke Grimes. Now, he was on True Blood. Uh, he's on that Yellowstone show, which I happen to catch Saturday or Sunday, an entire marathon of season one on Paramount Network. Off and on. Uh, he's the best thing in that show, acting-wise. Uh, everyone else is a little too soap opery, including Kevin Costner. Uh, including Wes Bentley. <laughs> uh, but he's really, really good. Uh, and I think he could play this role uh, nicely. And, I, and you'll find out later, I'm on a little bit of a Yellowstone kick. Uh, for my Luce, Lucilla, uh, Connie Nielsen. And I did a lot of age checking here because I wanted to be in the same range. Uh, and believe it or not, Mila Kunis is in about the same age range today as Connie Nielsen was when she made this yep. movie. Um, be great. In I fact, think she's she older. Play- yeah, I think she could play that dark that darkness because of Black Swan. I think she showed, you know, obviously she's done plenty of comedy and romantic comedies, but uh, I think she's a good fit. Uh, and uh, Proximo, Oliver Reed, the trainer. Pierce Brosnan is a good call. You're a dick. That's why I put my notes. I'm mm-hmm. going to go with Liam Neeson. Uh, oh, yeah. you can't, can't go, go wrong with, with Liam Neeson's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's, uh, you know he he would earn his freedom if he was a, a fucking gladiator. Um, for the senator, Derek Jacoby guy that I didn't really know who it was till you said it was Derek Jacoby, I went with Bradley Whitford. Because um, huh. I'm seeing Bradley Whitford with gray hair and all this stuff like Get Out. And my wife was watching Mo- Mom or Mother the other day, that sitcom with Anna Ferris, And he was on a run there dating uh, Alice and Janney's character. Hmm. And he had wild white hair. And I just think he could, you know, I mean, nobody's going to do Derek Jacoby. Uh, no. But, Nobody uh, really uh, has the range of J- Derek Jacoby. I no. think about that Frasier thing where he's playing he's playing Hamlet, isn't he? Yeah, yeah where he goes, oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Macbeth. But then, it's Macbeth. Oh, is it Macbeth? Yeah, but no. then you see like all the other dramatic... No, it was Hamlet, I thought. It is it? Hamlet. It is Hamlet. Uh, and then he plays all these other really super dramatic roles. But you can see that he can make fun of himself too. Like yeah. he's got he's yeah. got range, man. Uh, I replaced Jaimon Hansu with John David Washington. Yeah. Nice, it's a good one. Um, I uh, Richard Harris, the original OG emperor. I I literally wrote, "Let's throw Shatner a bone and see if he can keep the cheese at bay for a scene or two. <laughs> yeah, let's see. 
God. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to gamble. the craziest thing. I'm willing to gamble my movie on it. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's sitting there talking to Tom it's Hardy. My first thought, my first thought was even worse because my first thought was, well, who did they replace Richard Harris with in Harry Potter? Oh my god! See now, you I just stole, you just stole my thunder, dude. Oh, oh no! Oh, no! <laughs> you stole the fucking thunder. Oh. Stole it. I can't even say that now. I've got to change. I've got to change the name. I've got to change oh, no. it. No, no. Got to change it. I wouldn't have said anything if I'd known. I feel bad. Should, uh, should. Uh, well, at least you didn't put Shatner in. Um, There's no way he's going to be able to hold up for one scene. Just it's just a, it's he's not in the movie very much. He just you know we just got to prop him up. And... <laughs> All right, for the little kid. Uh, I'm going, I'm going with Brecken Merrill, who is the little kid on Yellowstone. He's actually Luke Grimes' kid. He's uh, Kevin Costner's grandson. Uh, he's a pretty good little child actor. Although I will say that show treats him like shit because in the first season, he gets attacked by a rattlesnake and has to kill it with his bare hands. Kid's like six years old. Uh, and then three episodes later, he falls in the river and almost drowns. Mm. Um, some bad parents on that Yellowstone show. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's uh, mine. Let's hear. Let's, let's see what Chris has to say about the Gladiator. Uh, so for uh, my Maximus, my Russell Crowe, I have Adam Driver. Um, oh wow, Adam Driver! I think uh, definitely would uh, pull off the intensity that Russell Crowe did, uh, and, sure would. and maybe no, even good without maybe even on. more. He's about the same age as Russell Crowe was back in uh, the Gladiator days. Nice. On my uh, mark, for... unleash hell. I yeah. can see him doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And we do, do it in his own intense manner, though. It wouldn't yeah. be like Russell Crowe. It would be like, on my marks, unleash hell. You know? Well, you've, got, <laughs> <laughs> you've got the only American Maximus right now. Yep. Mine's Chilean. Yours is British. Yeah. All right. I like it. I like mm-hmm. it. Um, and you had Timothy Chalamet in one of your many, uh, bit characters, I guess, or, or somewhat supporting characters. I've had, I have him as uh Commodus. Oh, uh, how old is uh, Chalamet now? Uh, 25, I think. Oh, and nice. uh, Phoenix was 26 when really? he did this. Yeah. So, uh, right around the same age, I think Chalamet, I think his, uh, his role in Lady Bird, uh, really shows that he can be that kind of a dickhead. So, uh, uh, <laughs> so he would be good. Uh, for Lucilla, I have Ana de Armas because oh. hell yeah, I have Ana de Armas, and Why she's right at the same age too, right? She's, no, she's a little bit younger 30s. than Connie Nielsen was. Um, she's just a tad bit younger, but in the same age ballpark. Uh, for Proximo, the Oliver Reed character, I have Stellan Skarsgård. Perfect. Liam Neeson, mm-hmm. Stellan Skarsgård, I and and Pierce Brosnan. I think all these guys have that same thing, right? Like that same mm-hmm. machismo that could totally carry this character. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, for that Senator uh, Derek Jacoby guy, I have Sean Bean. <laughs> Ooh, nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, for Juba, the Diamond Houndsu character, I have Michael B. Jordan. Ooh, nice. And uh, Michael B. Jordan is maybe, I think he's a slightly younger than Houndsu was. 
when he took the role. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, yes, I did. I did put Michael Gambon in this role. <laughs> but then Jeremy said, I thought of that first. Fuck you. <laughs> but I did think of other actors uh, during this this thing. The reason why, I was thinking about Anthony Hopkins, but the problem yeah, yeah, with I Anthony Hopkins is, is he's always this fucking guy. He is. That's the exact thing that I was thinking. But uh, yeah, I'll put I'll put Anthony Hopkins there, and then uh, uh, Lucius Verus, the Spencer Treat car- Clark character. I have Jacob Tremblay from Room. That's perfect. And, oh, nice, good boys. Nice, and he's he's the perfect age too. He's like thirteen, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's 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 uh, some Gladiator right there. I think I think there's some uh, some uh, some good ones in there. I like agree. The, I think yeah. I think if it, it possibly if a casting director saw all of ours, there'd be a good pool to make a good I movie. Think so. I think so. Timothy Jalamet made get two roles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, why he can't he do, just play both? He could do like a uh, Lafayette uh, Jefferson type of thing from Hamilton, right? Just flip flop yeah. midway yeah. through. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. why not? All right, everybody, it's time to talk about movie once again. <laughs> Oh wow! Hey, you can see how it how it uh, gets the crazy out of Barrett whenever we mention it. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a, a. I mean, man, every time you go and look at this site, it's like some. Okay, I haven't heard of that, and you read about it, and you're like, oh, oh, I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to watch this probably. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, so they have a they had a documentary on there. I haven't seen this yet, but I'm I'm planning on watching it. It's called From Caligari to Hitler. German cinema in the age of the masses. And I think in preparation for that, they came out with, uh, they, they, uh, put on their site, the last laugh, an FW Murnau movie that came out in 1924 silent film. Um, not to be confused with the 2019 last laugh with Chevy Chase and Richard Dreyfus and all these people or whatever is in the- <laughs> is that an old man movie? Like, uh, I think, like I think together- it is. I think it is. <laughs> I think it is. Uh, this is an old man movie too, though. Um, uh, but it's about a doorman, 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 um, who, uh, works at this hotel and, uh, and early on, we're sort of introduced to the fact that he's he's kind of gotten up there in age because someone shows up to the hotel with this very heavy case that admittedly, even the customer himself, the uh, the guest himself, can't really handle very well. Uh, it's that heavy. But he's on top of this car and it's, you know, it's the 20s and all this <laughs> nonsense going on. And uh, and you can see that he can't he the this doorman can't help him out. Really, he's he whistles for some help, doesn't get any. And it's not too long after that. We we see him being told to go to his, go to the office, uh, the, the manager's office where they tell him you're going to we're going to demote you because of your infirmity. And, uh, so they, they demote him to a uh, washroom attendant. Hmm. And, um, and so like, uh, he, he's celebrated as a doorman for some reason. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why, but everybody loves him at, uh, as a doorman. As soon as he is found out to be a washroom attendant, his friends and his family basically ostracize him. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, they start making fun of him and all that. And the movie even gets to a point where it's like uh, it's it's very dour and depressing. And it's like, this is the way this story probably should end. 
but the author is going to give you a, a nice little ending here that never happens, but you know, here, here's what we're going to do. So it's one of these kind of movies. I think even back then they realized that, you know, people like to see the sunny side of life. They wanted the mm. fantasy and, uh, and, uh, you know, that's how they did that. What's striking about this movie though, is just how it's made the, the sets, the, the, the way it's photographed, all this type of thing. Uh, it seems way ahead of its time for a movie that was shot in 1924. And these German movies that are coming out in this period of time after World War One and before World War Two, and I think even before Hitler has become a thing, is fascinating to watch. Um, and uh, just seeing an, an era of history in this this, you know, this really, I guess, almost tumultuous or about to be tumultuous time uh for germany and there's so many like great movies coming out around this time metropolis comes out in 1926 i believe or 27 somewhere around there you have the cabinet of dr caligari which we referred to in that documentary Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of these movies are coming out and they're like really big influential movies that uh have come out over the years Uh, movies that people that directors that we know and love tried to emulate and uh, and pattern their own careers after. So, last laugh is good. Awesome, interesting. So I went uh, the uh, new wave route, and I went okay. new new wave route. So I've been trying to catch up on the classic directors Hitchcock, um, and and Jean Luc Godard uh, is one of the ones that I've seen enough to where I really really enjoy his aesthetic, his use of color, his use of, uh, naturalistic performances. Um, I just, I, I like his style. And so, uh, I found out that, so there's two, um, Godard movies on movie right now. La Chinoise, uh, is the one that I watched and, uh, Le Guy Savoie, uh, is, is another one. Uh, the first one is from 1967, the last one is 1969. Throughout the 60s, he did the total opposite of Stanley Kubrick. Uh, he made 17 movies in the 60s. <laughs> wow. Um, I think even today he makes uh, a crazy amount of movies. You look uh, at his IMDb, it is 128 credits as director. He's already mm-hmm. made three. Well, he made three movies in 2018. <laughs> he, yeah, he's definitely not what you would call a perfectionist when it comes to... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm glad you said that because he he is the antithesis of somebody like Stanley Kubrick. What what this La Chinoise uh, movie is, it's based off of a Dostoevsky uh, uh, book about a Soviet revolution, a communist revolution. And it takes place in, in downtown Paris. And it's full of ideas. And the ideas are honestly a little bit pretentious. Uh, the way that they, uh, these, these, um, white people, privileged kids that have just graduated university um, are revolutionized and want to use violence to take down the man. That kind of thing is pretentious. But it's also, I think it's supposed to be, but these kids will piss you off. And you're right. He doesn't linger on shots. He doesn't frame it perfectly all the time. He doesn't do the best sound. He doesn't do the best cinematography all the time. But the ideas in this thing that's what's so very European and so very French about this that I think, I mean, coming from an American point of view, it's very, very interesting to me. Um, these, uh, these kids are, are planning, you know, it's all about like, um, 
Viva la Revolution. You, you remember Life of Brian? You guys have seen Life of Brian, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have John Cleese as the leader of the Judean People's Front, and they uh, they have their own thing, and they're against the Roman government and everything. And then they look at the one guy over there that's sitting. He's the People's Front of Judea, and they all stand up and like flip him off and go splitter. That's what these kids are, right? They're like uh, <laughs> one of the one of the kids comes up and he's been beaten up. And one of his friends says, was it fascists? And he was like, no, it was like the Marxists. It was like the other progressive leftist thing <laughs> that doesn't like our progressive leftist thing. So they beat them up. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's hilarious. And I think it's played for comedy in that. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's some interesting choices made in this movie. This movie blew my mind in a, in a way that I don't even know if I really enjoyed watching it, but it, it definitely did make me think there's a, a point uh, where the, the main woman is on the train, the main, like very, they're a terrorist group. Um, and uh, she's on the train with this, this guy who's gone through the Algerian conflict and has been um, arrested for his quote crimes and everything. And she says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take out the universities by bombs. We're going to kill people. We're going to kill a lot of people. If there's no school, if there's no people, there's nobody to go to school and the systems will die. And this guy, this this wise person says, what are you going to do after that? And she starts on this like kind of babbling, I'll say it, Trumpish type of like, you know, just babbling until something, until the person gets tired of listening to you. Um, and, and he says, that doesn't answer my question. What is the next thing that you're going to do? She says, well, it doesn't matter what we're going to do. All I care about is changing things. There is no other plan. And he gets her in her own bullshit. And I love that kind of thing. And this is just a very um, cool Godard, late 60s uh, snapshot of that reality uh, that I that I really enjoyed. Uh, and I would recommend very much. All right. All right. All right. That's awesome. good stuff. Now, yeah, how, yeah, do people, so, how do people get this stuff? So, okay. So you go, you go, you get on your internet. <laughs> okay. Everybody got everybody with me right now? I'm okay. writing this down. You write, write it down on a piece of paper and then get on That's your right. internet later on. That's right. <laughs> uh, so you go to mubi.com slash cinema sins. And then you get 30 days free. Free. <laughs> wow. Free. That was, that was a pause for effect. Yeah, That's right, was. baby. That's free. Mm-hmm. 30 Uh-oh. days. You can see all kinds of stuff. Uh, we were talking. Uh, in our previous bracket uh, about the best films of the last decade about uh, Under the Skin. You guys remember Under the Skin with Scarlett uh, Johansson? Johansson. Um, Jonathan Glazer, who directed that movie, also has a short film called The Fall in this uh, current lineup that just posted a couple of days ago. Short film, six minutes, but it's very affecting. Very, very cool. Uh, great score. I would totally recommend. Chris, I think you would like this a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very quick. Uh, but very, very fun. Uh, you get access to all that stuff, man. Where else are you going to watch The Fall from Jonathan Glazer, a six-minute short? Where else are you going to find these Godard pieces uh, that are easily accessible? Uh, 30 days free, movie.com slash cinemasins. 30 days. What else do you have to do, people? You are sitting at home <laughs> doing who knows what. I, I tell you what. You should be doing. You go to movie.com slash cinemasins. You get some free movies, and it's awesome. And do it. I'm sorry I'm yelling, but do it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, let's go on to some uh, recommends and warns. Totes amaze balls. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Words and recommends. That's the new theme song for that, by the way. <laughs> nice. I tell you what, I, uh, I there's a movie that I um, I've seen a couple of times, but I hadn't seen in a while. I've got the Criterion Collection of uh, of this that has been uh, sitting around on my shelf for a long time. Brian De Palma's Blowout. Oh, oh nice. Ooh. Um. And uh, this this movie is really good. It's probably one of De Palma. It's got to be in his top three um, all time movies he's ever made. Um, It is. uh, What would you say are the other two? Just out of curiosity. um, (laughs) Well, let I would I would not put Scarface in that top three. Of course. Would you put Mission Impossible up there? I would probably put Mission Impossible in there, um, and uh, I would put The Untouchables in there. Yeah, The Untouchables is probably The Untouchables is probably number one, and then you have to do Mission Impossible or Blowout. But um, for those of you unfamiliar with the story of Blowout, it's about this movie is way better than I I thought it was than when I first saw it way back in whenever I saw it, but because it just was way darker than I remember it being. Uh, but uh, for those of you not familiar with the story of blowout, it's about a guy who does, uh, who does sound for Hollywood films. He goes around and like records actual sounds and nature and stuff like that uh, to, uh, to, to get those perfect sounds for movies. And, um, I guess that would be what a Foley artist does. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So like uh, the beginning of this movie is very Halloween inspired. You start off, you're going, what the fuck is this all about? Cause it's, it's like this stalker killer, uh, like going around this, uh, this sorority or whatever. And there's like all these, all these women like in their like uh, lingerie and like there's, there's women having sex and doing drugs and all this stuff. And there's this, obviously a killer wandering around their, their building and everything. And you're like, God, I, don't really, I was sitting there. Like I had not seen blowout in forever. I was like, I don't remember this being even part of the movie. How does this part of the movie? And it turns out it's a big, it's a big play on you the audience it's it's the movie that he's adding sounds to and there's a scene at the very end of the sequence where the killer goes into a shower and wants to kill the the obviously the very naked woman in the shower and her scream is just horrible it's like it's it's almost like that (laughs) and like and so like the guy the director turns to travolta who is the Foley artist guy. And he's like, he's like, we're going to have to do something about that. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, we'll get on this. Um, but he goes out and he's just recording stuff in, uh, in nature and everything. He's actually, he's actually like very, um, all up in your business about it too. He'll like go up. He doesn't care. He's going up to people with putting microphone in it and everything. He's like, get using his little, uh, I don't know. It's like a, like a gunshot, 
uh, microphone type of thing. Mm. There's these people who are like making out near a bridge and he's like pointed the microphone towards them to get their, to get their dialogue and everything. And just Jesus. sounds like while he's doing this, a car going across, going across this bridge has a blowout and the car goes out, goes into the river and he, he's like, Oh shit. And he runs, jumps down in the river and uh, saves one person in that wreck. And it's Nancy Allen, who you may recognize from RoboCop as the, yeah. Uh, um, see, and Nancy Allen used to be married to Brian De Palma. Oh. Uh, uh, he saves her. And we find out that she was in the car with the governor of Pennsylvania. I believe it is. She was in the car with the governor of Pennsylvania. And there are people who don't want anybody to know that the governor of Pennsylvania was in that car. And there's this unraveling mystery that goes along with it. Travolta, obviously as a sound guy wants to figure out if there are more, if if there's more to what he's recorded that uh, will give him more information. And one of the big things that he knows is that there's definitely a gunshot before the blowout. And he is now going back and forth and it, at some point, Dennis Franz shows up in this movie and he's like the it's guy who actually, he's actually shot footage of the car. Um, uh, so like there's a point where Travolta can actually sync up the sound with the, the images that Dennis Franz took. And so he's, he's like trying to match that up perfectly and everything. The movie is like a sort of, um, it's, it's sort of like a movie lovers mystery uh, movie because it's it shows you how films you know it's how films are made in a way and it shows you how sometimes things kind of uh, if you you need the appropriate context to really know what's going on in a scene and going on what, what's going on in real life or whatever and there's so many twists and turns in this whole thing it's got one of the darkest endings i have ever seen in a movie mm. wow it, wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's very dark. Mm. Uh, if, if for that alone, you should watch uh blowout, but there's also John Lithgow is in this movie. Mm. Um, uh, who else is in it? I can't remember anybody else, but uh, you have Travolta, Travolta in a time before he became like this weird Travolta. We know uh, that's, you know, messing up Idina Menzel's name and no, all there's sorts definitely of others. such a transition in early Travolta. This is 81. So like, uh, Saturday night fever, Greece, like, and then up until look who's talking essentially. Right. There was well, yeah, a whole and- different Travolta and then there was comedic Travolta and then there was post Pulp Fiction Travolta. Right. And there was somewhere, Somewhere along the way of of, of post pulp fiction, something happened with him that's just kind of a a little. It's just something weird. We don't know. We can't put our fingers on it. But um, anyway, this is Travolta like at his best. This is like great Travolta stuff. Uh, I think uh, Tarantino thinks that this is De Palma's best film he's ever made, and he mm. did cast Travolta based on Blowout. Um, mm. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I, like I said, I had seen it a couple of times before this, but I really, really appreciate it now, now that I've seen the, seen it again. You may have to, 
You may have to loan that to us because I just Googled and it doesn't look like it's on any of the streaming services. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll have to loan that to you probably. But, uh, I am very curious about checking that out because I've never seen it. And uh, I consider uh, De Palma one of my favorite directors, so I need mm-hmm. to write that. Wrong. It's got some real classic De Palma stuff. The, the, there's a lot of split screen stuff in it. There's one split screen in there that I thought was particularly effective because there's a point where Travolta's doing his work, um, doing some sound work, and there's a TV uh, that the the right side of the screen shows up, and the, you know, so he's on the left, he's doing his thing, and then on the right side, there's a there's a TV screen going over the news and everything. But it feels like a very natural split screen because once the camera, once they they take the wide shot, you see Travolta on the left and you see the TV over on the right, you know, it, and it, and it's very natural. It's like it's one of the it's one of the few times that I felt De Palma use. I love that split screen thing that De Palma does. By the way, I love it every time he does it. But it's one of the few times where it seems organic more than him just doing a thing where it's like, here's something cool that I'm known for that I'll do in this movie. <laughs> what does yeah. it resolve? Like, does it, does it like seamlessly like turn into a wide shot? Uh, it's a, it's just a, it's just a cut, but like oh. from the, from the split screen, when it cuts to the wide shot, you're like, Oh yeah, that whole time. So, and, and the detail that I didn't mention, there's a wall. There's a mm. wall, there's a wall on the right side and the TV's in front of it. And he is to the left and in front of that wall. And so like there's the wall actually fills like a, makes a, it doesn't, he doesn't do that in the split screen. It's just that I when see. it cuts to the wide shot, you're like, oh yeah, that's a very natural way to do that split screen huh. because, because they are already in that kind of a split screen type of world there. Um, the movie, uh, I don't know how much the movie Blow Up has to do with Blow Out. I know that um, Blow Up has the same sort of uh, the same sort of setup that a, a guy who's a photographer takes a bunch of uh, pictures of of somebody, and he thinks he may have taken a picture of a murder, and so the whole movie is him uh, going. Uh, and trying to figure out if some of one of his pictures t- reveals the truth. The movies aren't the movies have only really that in common though. Like somebody who's an amateur goes out or maybe a professional goes out and does his, uh, his, his everyday work and maybe caught a murder or caught something on film or whatever. Um, that's the only place where those movies like really are the same and their titles, obviously. But uh, I'm sure De Palma, you know, was playing on that film a little bit too. Um, and I think the film Blow Job borrows a lot from it does. It from does those two. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's a little bit different, but mm-hmm. I think it's about a job. Mm-hmm. But they right. have to. But they have to. <laughs> yes. I can't even finish it. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even finish the blowjob. It's like it's like the Italian job, uh-huh. ah, yeah. <laughs> mixed with mixed with blowout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. It's it's about a never mind <clears throat> <laughs> the Italian blow. Yes, yes. <laughs> Jesus. All right, Barrett, you got to recommend me. What's up? I got a, a really good recommend that I've been recommended for a long time, and I finally uh, pulled the trigger on it. It's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. 
Oh, uh, this girl is a portrait of a lady on fire. Exactly. That that song <laughs> has been playing in my head for the last few days. Came out last year, uh, was up for a lot of awards, especially internationally. Uh, it's a French movie um, and uh, came super, super highly recommended. Chris, have you seen this yet? I have not seen this. Uh, yeah, this got, uh, this got a lot of great reviews. Um, and, uh, I've always wanted to, to watch it just because the trailer is fantastic. Uh, it looks like the, the performances are great and it's a very small cast. It's made up of all women, except for a brief cameo from one guy that transports this woman, this painter, uh, to this estate in, uh, Northern France, uh, to paint, uh, this woman, uh, before she gets married to some sort of, as you say, Prince Hufflepuff or whatever, Huffy Pants or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, but first the portrait has to be done and she doesn't want her portrait to be done. So this is done in secret. She hires this woman, this painter to be her companion. And that's how she gets into, uh, this woman's life. And it turns into a traditional love story. A love, a love story with two women. It is not salacious. It is not um, skeezy. It is directed by a woman. Uh, I could pronounce her name, but I'll butcher it. Celine Siama. Uh, I'll, I'll say that, I guess. Uh, Noemi Merlant is uh, one woman, and Adele Hanel is the other woman. Um, and it's terrific. Th- this movie lived up to everything that everybody said. Uh, there's no score to it except for this musical interlude in the middle of it that will take your breath away. Uh, cinematography is outstanding. Uh, the two leads will will make you fall in love with them. Uh, the ending to this, you guys have both seen Call Me By Your Name, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. Chris and I went to see Call Me By Your Name, uh, and as the credits are rolling, typically I, and I think Chris, typically we kind of get up and start to, to get out when uh, credits are rolling, but there's in call me by your name, which I'm not a huge fan of the, the very end of it is Timothy Chalamet looking into a fire for the entirety of the credits for probably like, I don't know, two and a half minutes or something like that, uh, somewhere around there. And it's a very affecting moment. It's a very interesting ending and it's a very sentimental ending. This, uh, the ending of this movie is every bit as heartstring pulling, if not more. In fact, I think it is more, um, because of the stakes involved, because of the background of these two characters, uh, you will love this, this movie. It, it there's <laughs> nothing to not like about this movie. It is in French. You have to deal with the subtitles, deal with it. It's fantastic. Um, it, it's, it's worth Everything good that you've heard about this is absolutely true. Um, pacing maybe could be a little bit better, uh, but it's gorgeous. Uh, and I loved it. And I'm going to watch it a million times. Nice. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. You, I, uh, my friend, uh, Chris Atkinson, you would love it. Jeremy, I think you would like this movie a lot. Uh, this would be something to, to watch with the uh, the wife. I'm actually planning on watching it with my wife um, because it's yeah. it's beautiful. It's lusciously shot the landscape is beautiful they're on the coast of northern france uh so so it's not like regular france that you see all over the place um and it's it's just i don't know it's just a very very good movie yeah 
All right, so uh, I'm going to give you a double feature. Rec- recommend. I, I listed it as a recommend, but I've settled on a recommend. Uh, nice. Now, Chris, Chris and Barrett have both given you recommends that are super strong, uh, very fervent. Um, going to watch this a million times. Neither of these double feature movies I'm going to tell you about are, are like that. Uh, but I had a really good time. It was an accidental double feature. I'm flipping channels, and I see a recent movie, I think it's 2018, called I Think We're Alone Now. And I thought, oh, it's about that song from when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> the Tiffany uh, song? <laughs> which was a remake of somebody else. Um, and I read the description, and it says something about post-apocalypse. Uh, I see Peter Dinklage, and I see uh, Fanning. And that's all it took. I click on it. <laughs> so this movie is basically Peter Dinklage is the last survivor of a of an apocalypse that is never defined and he's alone in this town he's the only guy in his hometown that hasn't died and basically every day he picks another house and he goes in and he deep cleans it cleans it and buries the bodies so he's bit by bit going through cleaning up this town Hmm. and one day l fanning shows up and there were thought to have been no other survivors um and there's one thing I want to praise about this movie is there's never even any kind of a hint of like romance or attraction. Uh, one is a man, one is a girl and a woman. And uh, basically they start out as strangers. She shakes up his routine. He's crusty and grumpy and doesn't want her around. But, you know, it's nice to have human contact again. And slowly but surely they start forming a bond. She starts helping him clean houses she finds his house, which he refuses to clean, and helps him clean it. And then Paul Giamatti and some woman show up and say that they're Elle Fanning's parents, and they want to take her back home. Uh, and that's pretty much all I'm going to tell you. Um, it's not necessarily a mystery. There's no spoilage, really, that I'm trying to avoid. Uh, it was just a decent character study um, of, of two lonely people uh, making friends uh, after the rest of the world is dead. Hmm. So I'm flipping channels after that, and I come across another recent movie. I want to say 2016. Uh, year was it? 2015. Called Z for Zachariah. Um, How do you find these things? Because I flip channels looking for new shit. <laughs> I think uh, I've, I think I've heard of. I think we're alone now. Wait till you hear this uh, cast. It's got right. Chris Pine, Margot Robbie, and Chiwetel Ejiofor. How do I not um, know about this movie? This is a post-apocalyptic movie. In this one, it is known that um, it was uh, nuclear radiation. And basically, Margot Robbie is living in this valley that fortunately has rocky cliffs uh, and favorable weather patterns that kept the radiation from invading the valley. Uh, And she had a a father who was a preacher uh, and a brother, and they went off looking for survivors and never came back. So she's by herself in this place where she is able to uh, grow crops. Um, <clears throat> and all of a sudden, Chiwetel shows up uh, and he's, you know, that she didn't think there were any other survivors. And it's basically a very similar concept in two people who are wary of each other, slowly develop a relationship or friendship. And just as they're about to get to that flirty stage, Chris Pine shows up. Um, <clears throat> and Chris Pine. I am at Chris Pine. <laughs> yeah, okay. Chris Pine shows up and and uh, so Chiwete is jealous. He does this. He do, don't ever do this, boys. He goes to Margot Robbie before anybody has, has ever said anything and basically gives her permission to have a relationship with Chris Pine. 
mm. uh, gives his blessing. Um, and I was like, dude, you just took yourself out of the running right there. Um, <laughs> anyway, the big grand idea that Chiwilte has, the water is radioactive, but he wants to build a water wheel because they have a generator and he can bring electricity back to this house um, if they can get this water wheel going. But the only way to build the water wheel is to tear down the church. And Margot Robbie loves the church because her daddy was the preacher. So the two men basically convince her to tear down the church. They build this water wheel. And then Chiwilte and Chris Pine go out to hang the water wheel up on the cliff. Only one of them comes back. And I'm not sure the story he tells about the one that doesn't come back is true, but the movie doesn't really <laughs> show you. And mm. uh, I once again, neither of these movies are A pluses. Maybe in the B, B plus range, but I was very satisfied as a viewer. I didn't know where any of it was going to go. Uh, the actors, especially in this one, uh, were phenomenal. Um, and uh, yeah, it's based on a novel. It's, I went and read about the novel. The novel sounds completely different um, uh, other than you know three survivors after a nuclear holocaust. But there you go. There's your post-apocalypse double feature of B-plus movies. My jam, man. That's awesome. I um, Z for Zachariah was uh, uh, at Belcourt um, uh, back okay. in the day. I uh, saw trailers for it. Uh, I didn't know what it was when you first mentioned it, but then when I popped over to the IMDb, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Because this was, this was before Margot Robbie... I mean, she yep. had she had done Wolf of Wall Street, but but it was before she really sort of established herself after Wolf of Wall Street. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, one of those things. And uh, this is uh, Z for Zechariah was directed by Craig Zobel, who did The Hunt. Um, this oh, year. yeah, that's right. Um, and he's also apparently, according to Wikipedia, one of the creators of Homestar Runner. Uh, oh, which is a whole yeah. Internet cartoon that uh, is much beloved. Uh, mm mm-hmm. There's a couple more reasons to check out that one, uh, at least. But I enjoyed both of them. Um, I like a good post-apocalypse movie. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. Um, by the way, after seeing how you spelt Chiwetel and how you pronounce it. <laughs> it's Chiwetel, not Chiwetel. Yes, Chiwetel. Uh, Chiwetel. Now, I, 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 my guess is that even that, which is probably close to correct, it's not completely correct or maybe the edge of four is the one i think the edge of four is the one that's got the slightly um uh, that's the one that's i don't know yeah i, I I'm, I'm trying to remember which one it is that it's, it might be the edge of four that, well apologies to him he's a fine actor and uh, yes, he, i like him i like him in everything he's done the first, right? what did the you first call time him? i was, he he says chi chi yeah like it there's a like it's a t like a t-e and an accent over the e um, but like the first time I saw him was uh dirty, pretty things. And that's a really good movie. Hmm. Um, don't I know if you got the first time I saw him. Um, I may have seen him before then, but that was the first time I remember that was in 2002. Um, and it has, uh, Audrey tattoo in it. And, uh, that's the main reason why I watched it. I think, I believe her name is pronounced Audrey tutu. Oh, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, and, and, and when I say those things, I'm not trying to be an asshole or anything. I just, it's no, just, no, it's actually, just, I think serenity was the first time I really took notice of she will tell. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, uh, the, uh, yeah, the movie itself, right? Cause he's not, is he in the show at all or is he just no. in that movie? 
No, he's just okay. in the movie. Um, uh, watched a movie. Uh, we still do this movie club thing with a couple of my friends from uh, Hollywood 27 days and everything. Uh, we just do it over Zoom and we um, watch the movie on our own and then get on Zoom and talk about it. Um, and uh, one of these movies was a movie I saw at the Bell Court a few years ago when they were doing some... I don't know. They were showing some classic movies. I don't know what, if there was a theme to it or what, but, uh, odd man out 1947 movie with directed by Carol Reed, who did the third man. And I know Mm. a lot of you out there love the third man. Uh, this movie odd man out, uh, is, uh, basically, it's ostensibly, ostensibly about the IRA, but they don't mention the IRA in this. They're careful to say this is not related to, even though it totally is, uh, you know, organizations, you know, that are uh, taking place in Northern Ireland right now. Um, But uh, James Mason plays the guy who is the head of this, of this organization. And they're, um, they have a plan. I think he's just come out of jail. He's just gotten out of jail and they have a plan to rob either a bank or a post office or something like that. They have a plan to rob a bunch of money. And uh, so a lot of people are saying, a lot of people in this organization are a little worried about James Mason doing this job. They think he's changed a little bit. They don't think he's up for the task, Um, but he overrules them. And he says, I'm going to do this with you guys. So, he and a few guys go and they rob this place. And as they're trying to, trying to run away, a couple of uh, either guards or policemen catch up to them. And uh, he accidentally kills one of the guards or policemen. And they didn't want to do this. Obviously they didn't want to kill anybody, but he also gets shot in the altercation. And, the he's unable to when he gets in he's unable to reach the getaway car um they uh the getaway car sort of drives off without him and uh he tries to they try to i'm trying to remember if he gets in it and then he falls out i think that's maybe what happens he's Mm. in the getaway car and falls out of the getaway car and the guy who's driving it is like ah we can't go after we can't go back for that guy i mean cops are on our tail and everything and they're like no, this is the leader of our organization. We've got to go back. Uh, they don't do it in time. And James Mason is basically left to fend for himself. And uh, he has to, he's going around this town, just shot. And after a while, he's he is known to, to be on the streets, shot, and, you know, watch out for him, that type of thing. Hmm. The movie, you would think is, is is about him you know he needs to get back to his his home and he needs to get he needs to get this bullet wound uh uh taken care of and uh he'll be he'll he'll be alive at the end the movie really sort of veers from that uh it really his journey is about what other people uh how how other people are affected by his injury and by his there's a there's there's a there's the girl who loves him who wants to track him down before before he uh, before he dies because they're pretty sure he's just gonna die that there's no way that they're gonna be able to reach him but she wants to reach him 
and and before he does for obvious reasons um the cops obviously want him because he's a wanted man but then there's other like side characters that of course he has a a reward for him if if anybody catches him or has information leading to his capture and everything so you have like a homeless guy who's like i i i'll turn him in for ten thousand dollars obviously but then he's being sort of talked out of it there's there seems to be a, a real like um groundswell of support for what james mason does and his organization and so there's a it, it seems like there's a there's a it's like sort of half and half uh if he runs into the wrong person obviously he's going to be turned in but he keeps running into people who just want to help him a lot or have the moral quandary of helping him and can't keep him very long it's a very interesting movie i mean there's even a there's even a whole section where there's a guy who wants to paint him he wants yes. to paint James Mason. Have you seen this? I have seen this, yes. I saw this oh fairly God. recently on TCM. Oh, okay. There's a guy <laughs> who wants to paint him. He wants to capture what it's like for someone to be in their last breaths. Jesus. And and uh because he'll never get a chance like this again. It really is sort of how everybody else is affected. We all know that James Mason's going to die. Uh it's just a matter of what other people can get out of him before he dies. And He's spectacular the in this, by the way. Oh, he is. Yes, very much so. This movie is shot so beautifully. It's great black and white stuff. Uh, the you know, it's one of those where there's just there's beautiful works of art in the the cinematography uh, during this. There's one scene where the cops are almost on to his, almost about to capture capture him, and he's running through the streets of Dublin and like, there's just these beautiful compositions, like, you know, little street lights that you, you know, you can see on the, on the street, you know, like just like in the distance and everything, he shoots this so well. Uh, people who are fans of third man would definitely like odd man out. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah. This is, this, uh, really surprised me because, you know, you never know what you're getting into with these, uh, late forties, early fifties movies, even with big, you know, movie stars and, and good directors. Uh, but I was, and it was a late night thing, but I was compelled. Uh, I thought it was really, really good. Uh, really interesting story. And you're right. It isn't about him. He is, he is the, 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 the kind of driving force by which the, the rest of the environment uh, reacts to him. And mm-hmm. that's a very cool thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right. I've got a slightly, I'm all about the ladies today. Well, mm-hmm. ladies. Slightly, slightly different than uh, the uh, the the drama and the gravitas of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, I watched Fighting with My Family recently. Oh. And uh, this is a goddamn delight, man. Wow. Uh, yes, it is. This is uh, uh, a wrestling movie. You've probably seen the trailers a million times. I remember the trailers. Uh, it's, it's, uh, a, a, basically a family full of wrestlers, super fans, uh, that do their own like local wrestling. They teach wrestling to kids, including a blind kid, uh, which is really like tugs on your heartstrings and stuff like that. Uh, and, uh, Nick Frost is the uh, patriarch. Lena Headey is the matriarch. Um, there's one first scene where they're about six years old or so. And, uh, the brother attacks the sister. He's a little bit older. He attacks a sister and she's like, Oh no, he's got me. Like he's about to break my arm. And Lena Heady's like, well, what are you going to do to get out of it? 
And so she like figures out a way to like sling him on the ground and they're like, yeah, all right. And then just walk off. Uh, so yeah, the, the whole family is hilarious. They grow up in this wrestling environment and uh, they kind of make this their occupation. The, the, the two kids um, later played by Florence Pugh uh, from little women and from uh, midsummer fame <laughs> and mm-hmm. lady Macbeth and everything uh, mm-hmm. is playing this wrestler page and uh, Jack Loudon is playing her brother and they find out they're in England. They're in Northern England in this nowhere town. Uh, Stephen Merchant, uh, who directed it actually uh, makes a cameo as uh, uh, one of the related families. And uh, he's hilarious too. And uh, she ends up uh, getting a chance to tr- audition. They both do the, the brother and the sister get a chance to audition for WWE uh, the Rock shows up and makes a cameo, and Vince Vaughn plays the uh, talent coordinator, the guy who finds the wrestlers. And it, this is in the trailer, so I'm not spoiling anything. He ends up taking her instead of the 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 boy who mm-hmm. is appreciably more strong and like has better moves. But they've always worked together. The brother and the sister have always done like their tandem thing. Uh, so there's a lot of drama in this movie. It is very funny. But there's a lot of drama in this, a lot of family drama and things like that. And so Florence Pugh's character, Paige, really has to navigate all the ins and outs of getting uh, in shape. You know, she's done low-level wrestling work. She just has the charisma. And Vince Vaughn can see that. And eventually, she works her way up to where she has a chance to get into the regular rotation of WWE. Now, I want to preface this by saying I could give a flying fucking fuck about WWE. I don't care about wrestling. Never have. Uh, did not realize, by the way, this is based on a true story. There yeah. is a uh, wrestler named Paige who's from Northern England uh, who did have this sort of experience, who did go through this talent scout, uh, who did meet The Rock back in the day, uh, back when he was actually a wrestler. And uh, yeah, when, when the title... You know, the, the epilogue cards come up at the end. They're like, Paige went on to win Divas, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, shit, that's an actual wrestler. <laughs> but she, Florence Pugh plays her absolutely fantastic. They must have learned glow-level um, moves for this this movie. Now, keep in mind, this is one of three movies she put out last year, all incredibly different. She mm-hmm. plays, you know, the Midsummer character, would set me back like five years just by that performance alone. The mm. Little Women character I haven't seen yet, but I hear she's great in that. And then this one is physically demanding. She's got to be comedic. She's got to be a little bit dramatic. Uh, she's terrific in this. And Vince Vaughn, the last thing I'll say about it, Vince Vaughn is not, I think he's moved out of his Vince Vaughn phase. I think he's moved out of his swingers, wedding crashers, um, even what is the the internship? What is the one that he did with Owen Wilson later on? He did several, uh, um, but yeah, internship is one of them. Yeah, I, I think he's moved out of that, and I think he was ready to kind of move on to a different thing. He's done that brawl on Cell Block ninety nine, uh, and then he did this where he's very very toned down. He plays an ex wrestler uh, that was a journeyman uh, that ended up getting hurt, and now this is what he does, and. Ooh. I kind of like this. It's like when I was mentioning, I like the new phase of Hugh Grant's career where he's playing like different roles and he can really just let loose. I feel like Vince Vaughn is doing that now. Mm -hmm. And I think there's enough talent there to where 
I, I think he can kind of spread his his wings a little bit, and I'm I'm down with it. He's great in this. I would totally recommend this movie. By the way, and I'm not sure if we can actually talk about this movie, but he's in Arkansas as well, and he's really good in Arkansas. Oh uh, yeah, I haven't seen that yet. But you can that, talk about awesome. that movie. This is a fun movie. I think you both would enjoy this movie. You're not breaking any new ground. Nick Frost is really, really good in this. Lena Headey is hilarious in this movie. She's like winning a wrestling match is like doing cocaine, heroin, and ecstasy at the same time. And, uh, <laughs> and Florence Pugh is like, have you done those? And she's like, not at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I didn't you see I, that, those trailers when they came out. I didn't even know that was her. Um, Me neither. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. Uh, so when you brought this up, I was like, oh, really? That fucking movie? Um, and then noticed that she was in it. I was like, oh, shit. I didn't even know. Yeah, it's got a great yeah. cast and it's got a, a real touching story because they do come from kind of nothing. I mean, they're not like as bad as the Parasite House or anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But they are you know, pretty much destitute. The, the father is an ex con. They, the father and the mom love each other. They're, they've attached at the hip, the, the brother and the, the sister love each other. Uh, it's just a very, very cool thing. Um, and I, I was very surprised. Uh, and it's the fact that it's based on a true story. They actually have in the credits, they have the real people, uh, sitting down and talking about their uh, their lives, and the the dad looks like Nick Frost in there with the mohawk and everything. He's like, "Yeah, I used to rob banks, man. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm into wrestling." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, um, that's a real thing." Just looking at the email chain, Arkansas was embargoed until May fifth, so we're allowed to talk about it. Oh, okay, good. Um, and it's actually already out on Blu-ray and DVD of that okay. date as well. So. Cool. cool. Um, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you all down uh with a warn. <laughs> with a warn. Mm-hmm. Speaking of how good Kira Knightley is as an actress. Um flipping channels the other day, I see a movie called The Aftermath. It says World War II something something. Oh yeah, Kira the Knightley. Dr. Dre album. Yes. <laughs> um Kira Knightley. Um so I'm like, all right, well, there's probably a good chance that there'll be some adultery. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Yep. uh this is about <laughs> It's the only a way British... I can get off anymore is if there's adultery. <laughs> this is about a British uh, colonel or some such, uh, and it's Jason Clark uh, and his wife, Kira Knightley, uh, moving after World War II to the city of Hamburg because uh, he's in charge of helping rebuild the city after World War II. Um, they are placed in the home of a resident of the city, um, and this is Alexander Skarsgård, who's an architect, he and his daughter. Uh, but rather than kick them out onto the streets or make them go to a shelter, Jason Clark was like, let's just let them live in the attic. It's a really mm-hmm. big house. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of space. What mm-hmm. could go wrong? Right. <laughs> and then um, adultery. Right. And then you know, keep in mind, this is Germany. This is just after World War II. So there are pockets of Nazi rebellions and uh, uprisings. The, they've got these German servants from the architect's household serving the British Kira Knightley and making fun of her behind her back. Cause she doesn't speak German. Um, and, uh, basically there's a little girl upstairs, of course, with, with, uh, scars guard and, uh, catches the little girl downstairs playing the piano one day. And it's like, Oh, we're supposed to stick to our spaces. Uh, and then she starts feeling guilty 
And then one day she goes up to the attic when they're gone and she explores their space, which is very rude if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, she and Alexander Skarsgård are fucking. Um, right. And this movie is boring. Even with the fucking. It's slow and boring. Uh, I, there's some stuff about Kira Knightley had, had a son with Jason Clark that died during a blitzkrieg during the war. Uh, and yeah, that's why she's that emotionally happens. distant from him. It's just like I was watching this the whole time and my prominent thought was how many movies has Kira Knightley been in where adultery is a prominent plot point? And I could come up with four or five just thinking about it. Do, but I wasn't do it. paying attention to the movie anymore. Do it because I can't think of any. What What are they? Uh well the um Anna Karenina um okay. all right all right the oh god now you're gonna make me look like a jackass um Pirates of the Caribbean the the second one I guess she fuck uh, off fuck off let me look no she kisses oh, there... Jack Sparrow right even that's, though she's okay, with that's Orlando not technically adultery right. but yeah trying to help um you uh let's see here well atonement i don't think is adultery as but it's still fucked up sex stuff um <laughs> totally just basically the, the same thing the duchess uh it feels like there's a lot of period pieces with uh some flirting and and um <laughs> adultery and uh her resume is littered with them my point is this movie is not entertaining enough to keep me from thinking up stupid shit to google <laughs> about a, a, one of the actresses in it. And I like World War II stuff, and I like adultery. I like good acting, uh, but this movie couldn't get there for me. It is a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I felt quite vindicated uh, in warning it instead of record-warning. Yeah, it's, it, I, um, I ran across this myself uh, the other day. I didn't watch all of it. I just watched a scene where Jason Clark and Keira Knightley, I guess, are just getting to the house, and Alexander Skarsgård's there, with them and i was like oh these are some this might be good and i i looked up the guide and i was like 27 percent on rotten <laughs> tomatoes and i think 40 percent audience score too it wasn't very good but um but as i was flipping through too this is this is tangentially related i saw um i don't know if it was the same flip through but like twisted was on you remember oh! twisted the 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 Ashley Judd movie? Ashley Judd movie. And I movie fucked up. I uh I've never seen Twisted. I've never seen it. Uh because it had bad reviews and everything like that. And I was like, I remember this had bad reviews. It's probably a, a low rotten tomato score. One percent. One percent Jeremy. Love yes, actually. Not necessarily yeah. uh, the uh, the adultery, but Chiwetel is in there, and she does oh, kiss uh, Rick Grimes, right? Even though right. she's married to <laughs> Chiwetel. Uh, King Arthur, she plays Guinevere. She cheats on God, Arthur with uh, Lancelot. Thank you for doing my work for me. Uh, Pride and Prejudice, I don't think she fucks anybody else, right? Isn't Never Let Me Go? I never saw that, but isn't that a love triangle? Uh, yeah. Um, I've actually seen that movie. That's that she's, uh, I think she and Andrew Garfield are like, they're just, they're just lovers and Carrie Mulligan wants to be with Andrew Garfield. I don't think there's Uh, any, um, uh, adultery or anything going on there. That movie uh, is strange. The, uh, the, the imitation gang (laughs) gang, the imitation game, uh, Cumberbatch 
is moved to cheat on her with, an, right. with other guys. And I don't know if she so kind it's a of movie like about moves out uh, to, to her own thing, too. The, they have one of those, like, marriages where it's, I think she knows that he's yeah. gay. And yeah, 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 it, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it, I don't think it's anything where she's upset that he cheats on her or anything. Yeah, because they're, they're like friends by the end of it. Yeah. Um, that's going to do it for this week. Go to Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We also have, uh, Twitter, CinemaSins Twitter and, uh, music video sends Twitter. And, uh, and, uh, and we have a SoundCloud and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, we also have Discord. If you want to get on Discord, Go to our Reddit page, and you can find a link on the right side there. Or you can go to the Facebook page and uh, private message me, and I can give you a link there. Oh, yeah, there's one other thing. And also, we will be having, so as far as merchandise goes, some of you people have been asking about CinemaSins merchandise. We are doing a whole merchandise process coming up soon. First things first. I'll eat your brains and then I'll start rocking gold teeth and chains because <laughs> that's what a motherfucking monster do. Sorry, that's right. I just lapsed into <laughs> Nicki Minaj's version. Yes, you did. Kanye's monster. First things first is uh, a sale of our current merchandise. It's We're going to have discounts. We're going to slash prices. Uh, we're going to have discounts on our current merchandise uh, that we're going to retire Things like the roll credits T-shirt, things like the old Cinema Sins shirt, things like the uh, I don't know other the Prometheus School of Running Away from Things. If you want that stuff and you haven't gotten it yet, you're gonna have to get it soon because we're gonna have it on sale. And we're gonna retire it, and we're gonna bring a whole bunch of other stuff in, and it's gonna be dope. So uh, yeah, that'll be coming up soon. Stay tuned. Look at the channels; it'll be at the end of the videos soon. Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Barrett Scherer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Sudden crisp. I think that was the second one. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, that stupid kid uh, had a I don't know relationship with her. I don't. I don't know. Fuck. Um, <laughs> he did like drawing black squiggles on uh, paper. That's for sure. I think that's what it is. Because that kid has a more prominent role, and he's the one who's always fucking saying it. I don't even know. They probably at the end of the first ring. When she, when Naomi Watts discovers the truth, I think they name her Samara, but they say it like twice. And then the, mm-hmm. whole, the whole second one is like, oh, hey, you know Samara, right? She's the one that like kills people and makes their faces all fucked up. Oh, yeah. You got Palpatine right over your shoulder there. I do. I do. And Godzilla, man, you're on the wrong team. Yeah. Godzilla is a good guy. Mm-hmm. Godzilla's not always a good guy. He's not a good guy in the Matthew Brun. <laughs> well, he's a she in that one, right? Yeah, he's a she. It's the females that are fucked up. I finally got Disney Disney Plus. We got a new TV because our bed TV busted. So I finally got Disney Plus. And, uh, Shit, and Louisville wasn't even playing.
I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, and, more, uh, that's more a joke on me than it is you, though. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I was going to watch. I was like, oh, The Rise of Skywalker is on there. Let's say, and Hudson was like, hey, I want to watch it. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, well, let's fast forward to like a good part. And I was like, well, let's fast forward to another good part. And it was like four parts like, that I ended up fast forwarding to. And we were done in like 20 minutes. But now, yeah. now you can watch the Hamilton on July 3rd, baby. Oh, that's going to be so awesome. Oh, are they really doing that on Netflix that early? Uh, Disney Plus. Yeah, they've decided, you know, with the virus and whatnot, instead of waiting till fall of 2021 or whatever they're yeah, why? On Disney Plus. i don't even understand why they were waiting that long it's fucking it's a they, they shot this it. it's, it's already done right yeah yeah you know, oh absolutely hot suckers <laughs> oh my god so, i'm gonna to watch see it, it in like so many times though a month and a half and then i'm gonna oh watch god. it every day for the rest of my life yeah yeah <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Have you seen the Capone reviews, the the Tom Hardy reviews? I saw one the- headline that made it sound like a batshit crazy movie. <laughs> it's Josh Trank, the guy that did uh, uh, Chronicle and then did Fan-Forstic. Fantastic Four. Fanforstic, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, apparently, like, I mean, these these reviews are just brutal. And it's not even like they're trying to be like an asshole to these this guy or anything like that. He, it, uh, Tom Hardy apparently... He plays Capone when he moves to Florida in the last year of his life when he's got dementia and it, apparently he's like shitting himself and like, oh. you know, doing all kinds of disgusting things. And that's what the reviews say. Like, this is the most grotesque thing that you've seen outside of like a John Waters film or something. Like that. And Josh Trank got on Twitter and, uh, said that uh, one of those quotes was going up like framed in his office or something his, like that. So it, apparently he's leaning into it. Didn't Trank have like a world-class meltdown after Fantastic Four or during it or something? Wasn't that him? Oh, that really? Had that? He had some meltdown, didn't he? I don't know. I don't know. Trank, he certainly like, that... takes bad criticism well. <laughs> he He does? Or are you saying that sarcastically? I'm saying I remember about six months ago, he sent out a tweet that went viral uh, about uh, making a shitty superhero movie um, where he was sort of like owning Fantastic Four being bad. And then, you know, if he's wanting to take these quotes from Capone and frame them on his wall, at least, you know, he doesn't give a shit. Oh, he actually does (laughs) take it well. Yeah. I uh Yeah, there was something during that whole Fantastic Four. You never know with Miles Teller on set. That's you know. uh, true. That's true. <laughs> who was all? It was Michael B. Jordan, Miles Teller. Who were the other two? Kate Mara and oh, yeah. uh, um, uh, Billy Reed? Elliot. There's a story from Polygon seven days ago that says after um, what happened after Fantastic Four broke Josh Trank. Ooh. Uh, on August 7th, 2015, hours before his $150 million comic book reboot, Fantastic Four opened on 3,995 North American screens. Director Josh Trank smashed the self-destruct button. Uh, a year ago, I had a fantastic version of this, he tweeted in blind rage, and it would have received great reviews. You'll probably never see it. That's reality, though. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm looking at you. By the way, I've got you on this screen, so if it doesn't look like I'm looking at you, I'm looking at you over here. If it doesn't look like I'm looking at you, it's because I'm looking at naked ladies. Sweet. Naked ladies. Bare naked ladies? Nope. Nope. Just oh, naked just, ones. Just naked. I wonder uh, how much, uh, what do you call it, uh, porn uh, has gone up over this whole thing. I'm sure uh, bazillions of downloads and watches and dollars. Mm-hmm. All of the uptick. That's probably the most booming industry in the world. Here's the thing, though. You have to go on all of the existing porn that's out there, though, right? Because you can't make new porn right now. No, dude, Anybody the whole rage porn? in porn is like homemade porn. Like, the porn stars are on the way out. The amateur stars are the real stars now. So you got to have two people that are quarantined together, I guess. Yeah, but that's when Pornhub is full of that kind of stuff. Like well, you can go on. You can create your own Pornhub channel, just like YouTube, and make money based on how many views and ads run on your video. Not you only that, mo- how do you make money on Pornhub, though? Yes, there's ads. There's ads on Pornhub. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't think I've ever seen an ad. There's there, there's ads, and there's even. I mean, there's they're all skippable, of course. <laughs> but <laughs> but there's ads. Uh, Get yeah. out of my way. Yeah, you don't want to frustrate <laughs> masturbators. <laughs> but like, or do uh, you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like, um, even even porn stars themselves are saying we're we're uh, going to this homemade type of thing because uh, it's the only way to do it. I can't remember what story I saw. Uh, the other, it was some, was it a document? I don't know if it was a documentary, if it was just a news story, but. Was it the one about the Zoom orgy that I sent everybody? Uh, (laughs) it it, it was not that, but, um, but there was, there was, uh, I think it was like Tory Black or somebody like that was saying, you know, this is where I'm going, uh, in the future. And that was at a convention. It was at a Vegas convention. She said that she's like, I'm going to just do, do stuff from home because, it's the best way to do it. And plus, yeah, it's probably to, safer. Well, yeah. it, it is probably safer. You don't have to deal with a manager, a director. Although, I guess it would look better if you've got a director. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if, if you've got a director that knows what they're doing, like a production but, manager and stuff like that. But if you if all the rage is doing it from home anyway, and it's getting clicks, then you might as well, well have somebody that's used to doing triple anal or whatever. Right. And there are only a lot of these porn stars that triple anal. That's the next Netflix movie right there is triple anal. Um, <laughs> it's like triple frontier. Yeah. Yeah. Except with, yeah. Or, 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 or they're like, Hey, get your head out of the gutter. It's just about a guy who's really, 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 really stringent about the rules. Look, can mm. I just say that this Snowpiercer show that they keep advertising that seems like it's never going to come out. I'm really troubled because the train is going the wrong direction. Oh, really? Huh. Oh, it's just going compared right to, to left? Yes, just compared to the movie. The whole movie, it went left to right. Most, yeah. Almost all the camera work was, was from that perspective. Um, and in the show, it's the exact opposite, and it, it's driving me kind of crazy. And Isn't I think that that's silly. Yet? No, it's not out yet. But I've they've been. I watch Friends on TBS in the background every day, and they've been running commercials for this shit for two months solid. I don't know when it comes out. <clears throat> Just uh, a couple of like famous people in this, right? Avi Diggs, uh, oh, Hamilton, yeah, yeah. and uh, Jennifer Connelly. Ooh. Oh wow, Jennifer Connelly! Hey, uh, Jennifer how Connelly's old is playing the, like the, Jennifer Connelly right now? How 49. what? Yeah, she's 49? like close to fifty, but like 
the most banging 50 since yeah. Renee, what's her name, in the Steel in the Painting movie. <laughs> <laughs> Renee Russo, Thomas Crown Affair. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I caught the other day was in the line of fire, speaking of uh, Renee Russo. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's a scene in there where she and Clint get so horned up for each other. Yeah, they and do. And they start taking off all their equipment and all that shit. And like, you know, she's she's on top of them. They're ready to like get it on. Yeah, that's my favorite gets, line in the whole she movie. She gets a call. Yeah, yeah, she gets a call and has to leave. And he's like, now I got to put all that shit back on. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. All right. Yeah, Chairman Mao is not a, a, not a good dude. And neither is Lennon and fucking Mark. Well, <laughs> yeah. Marx, you know, you know and uh, Stalin and all those guys. Those are not... Uh, those guys, those are not my kind of guys. Right. <laughs> uh. So I started the uh, Mandalorian, man. That uh, that show's awesome. Yeah, good good show. Yeah, I just uh, did the first two episodes, but uh looks really good. I did get a 4K. I didn't get it anywhere near the level that you got because I got it on sale and everything. But uh, it does look really, really good um, for Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And they, I don't know, actually have not been to Disney Plus often since Mandalorian. There's not really. I, uh, lot, I watched right? that. I watched that Anna Kendrick Christmas movie that they made where she's like Fred Claus or something. I don't remember. What the, <laughs> she's she's the next. She like they think that uh, her brother is the next in line because only men can be Santa Claus, but she's obviously the one that like really knows Christmas and should be Santa Claus and everything, but she has to go down to earth and, you know, I don't know, figure that out for herself or something. Um, <laughs> I saw that movie on there and I think I saw one other thing. And then every time I've tried, I'll, I'll be like, Oh, I can go to Disney plus and watch this. Cause Disney's got their whole library on there. And you try to watch angels in the outfield and they're like, fuck you, Chris. You think we'd really put angels in the outfield on our Disney Plus platform? Fuck you! So, <laughs> is that not on there? Seriously? Nope. I so watched. I watched the movie on YouTube. Their, oh shit! They're waiting to put their entire, even well-known catalog on there. They're just like doing Marvel and Star Wars and prominent Fox stuff right now. I don't really know, honestly. Uh, I just know that the angels in the outfield is the one movie that I wanted to see off the platform and it didn't have it. So Motherfuckers. I don't know whether or not that means, you know, you can't find the fucking animated Robin hood or something like that. You can't, you know, I don't know if that's the case, but, um, uh, I, I'm assuming most, uh, anything Disney you can find on Disney plus. It just happens to be that that one you couldn't <laughs> just angels in the outfit. Yeah. That's like after I hurt my knee um, and the dude at the parking lot finally drove off and I yelled, yeah, fuck you, buddy. And the dude behind him that was walking back to his car was like, not you, friend. And he was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> not you, friend. I know. I'm not the asshole here. <laughs> Don't call me a buddy, friend. <laughs> yeah. You guys are dicks. <laughs> <laughs>